Hi guys, this is Eugene. Welcome back to the Moringa Podcast. So today we have a guest called uh, Paul Kevin. He's a software developer for, um, let's say, 10 years. Yeah, thereabout. So I'll let him introduce himself and I'll also let the others introduce themselves. So hi everyone, my name is Victor Reri. Welcome back to the podcast. Welcome back, it's Melissa. Hey guys, welcome back, it's Michelle. Hi, yeah, um, so my name is Paul Kevin. I am a software developers Eugene had mentioned. Uh, for the past 10 years I've been developing in Java mainly. Recently I have been working on PHP mainly in WordPress and Node.js for my let's say front-end applications. Currently I am a freelancer. So Paul, can you tell us how you started this journey of becoming a developer? Uh, that's an interesting <coughs> question. Okay, so I didn't start as a developer. I was first an engineer at JQuart, mm-hmm. doing mechatronics engineering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for the first year, um, I found it really boring because we're, we're just doing chemistry, physics, material science, and all those boring things. So my uncle sat me down and told me that I have more fun with computers than what I'm currently doing. So. After my second year, I opted to drop out of JQuart. I told my dad who didn't take it well. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, after that, I joined a company called JJ People. They're from UK. Basically, they would train you in Java for three months. And if you pass, they give you a job where you build products and also you are sort of a mentor. So I was at JJP for, I think, four years, four or five years. And after that, I left there because there were issues in the company. And I joined a company called Inmobia, which I think are still there. Basically, they deal with uh, services to Airtel and other SMS service providers. Yeah, so there I was a developer and uh, I would say support for about four or five years. I can't remember these dates. And then, wait, after that? Oh, yeah. Um, After that, I left there because of pay issues. And from there, I have been working with remote companies basically from for the past five years I've been working for remote companies Did five yeah thanks yeah that's basically my story <laughs> <laughs> and wh- what's your experience working um, remotely remote. yeah remote companies are way better than local companies in my opinion they pay mm-hmm. better they communicate better if, even if they're remote they are way better than local Kenyan companies mm. by far so <clears throat> since you're saying the remote companies are better than local companies, can you give us like uh, different comparisons? Like, okay, like ironically, I'm um, for remote uh, going for leave is easier than local because you just have to tell them on Skype or on mail that you're going on leave and it's paid leave. <laughs> and they also have holidays, like they respect your holidays and your time offs. And basically, they don't expect you to work seven days a week. They expect you to work only five days because they want you to be healthy. Yeah. That's it. That's basically it, yeah. And when it comes to the aspect of, um, okay, let's say organizational structure, Mm. how does it really work when it comes to working remotely as compared to working uh, for a local company where you have to be on site for the days you're working? How does the hierarchy work? How does... Uh, let's say <clears throat> working with other guys from I'm assuming you're working with people from different countries too yeah. so how does all that work okay uh, for remote it actually depends how the company is because some companies are not structured well they really don't know what they are doing but luckily I've gotten to work with companies that know what they are doing because they have a structure where the CEO talks to his managers and the managers have some managers who you talk to directly so there's a chain and mainly what they do is like every week you have a meeting which you have to attend. It's online meeting, compulsory. Then most companies these days remote, they have a 
mandatory trips twice per year where you travel somewhere, it's paid for, mm -hmm. like team building. Mm -hmm. So they always do that. I don't think Kenyan companies do that a lot, <coughs> local companies, but yeah. So in terms of a skill set, let's say you, um, you're looking for remote work, what do you think makes you stand out so that these guys can actually get you? Because I think finding remote work is not as easy as people think, and maybe maybe a list of requirements that they usually look at. What do you think makes you stand out? Okay, for remote work, actually, it's easier than local calls. For remote work, they don't care about your qualification, they care about what you do. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so like if you even go with them and just blab that you... Are very, you're, you're like very good in A, B, C, D. They'll say okay, and then they'll give you a test to do. If you pass the test, is when they'll take you seriously. Even when you haven't uh, met met all the requirements. Yeah, they really don't care about. So like, credentialing doesn't matter. Yeah, they don't care about credentials. And what about um, years of experience? Because a lot of remote jobs require senior level developers. So if you're just starting out um, as a developer. How, how, what do you think can make you stand out Basically, if you don't have all that you experience? You just have to show them that you really are good. Mm -hmm. Like me, uh, the last remote job, okay, I had applied to it four times before and they turned me down. So the fifth time I just told them that, okay, I'm not good in this technical big terms that you use, but I'm a very good coder. And then they just gave me the position after that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. so it's basically like how you present yourself. Because they really don't, okay, because since it's, they, okay, they mostly look for how you fit in with the company, how you bond with the other people. Because they don't want like, it to be like you are somewhere else and they can't really get to you because you have this baggage or something. They want you to be a good fit with them also, mm -hmm. not just have the skills. Yeah. And so what, um, what I, I think as a freelancer, I think you have to be self-motivated and all that. So what do you think uh, has made you be consistent in whatever you're doing right now? Or are you, because <laughs> you're laughing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, freelance is very boring, yeah. to be honest. It is, because uh -huh. clients don't pay on time. Mm. Then you have bills to pay. Like yeah. yesterday I had to push a client. I don't know how long. I think eight hours for him to pay. Okay, freelance is fun if you have paying clients. Mm. And what I've learned about freelance is that uh, anyone can do it as long as you don't look for someone else to give you the motivation. You have to be on motivation. Mm. And also like that thing for portfolio where people <clears throat> want to look at your portfolio. You don't really have to do a project to do a portfolio. Like me, the way I said freelance is that I just said building small things for free. Mm -hmm. And then people just pick them up and that's how I got known. Mm. And how long did it take you from the time you were doing pro bono free work mm -hmm. to actually getting that paying client? Okay, luckily my first paying client was my friend. Mm -hmm. At the time I didn't know PHP at all, but he wanted PHP done. So that's how I got my first pro bono. But normally after that it took me very long to get a proper paying client like around four years. Mm. Yeah. Because normally local, okay, if you target the local market, they don't really pay as well as international market. And why do you think that is? Um, I think local, I think that's a good question. Maybe it's ignorance or, okay, basically they don't see the value of what they're paying for as mm -hmm. long-term cause for a client abroad will like tell you to develop their site for like $10,000 because they right. know that if you do it well, yeah. it will be a big hit. But locally, mm -hmm. they know that since there are many developers out there who can even do it for 3,000 shillings, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. they don't really see the value yeah. in paying that much. Yeah. yeah. So have you found yourself working for a company more than once? Or have you done a job for a company more than once? Or is it Freelance, so? Yeah, yeah. yeah. the work that you Yeah, yeah. So, um, in terms of engaging with a company, mm. um, um, as a formal, let's say in a formal way, what types of documents are you required in order to uh, practice as a freelancer, or are you okay speaking about no, that? It's fine, it's okay. Fine, yeah. okay, I'm not, 
Okay, me personally. Or, or do you have any legal? Is that do they require any legal types of documentation, or you just work and then it's a sort of payment, an agreement, or a contract? Is it is it involved? Yeah. Okay, most companies internationally don't really care about that. Mm-hmm. As long as you do the work, locally is when they want your care pin. Yeah. I don't know what, because there's one company I did for. University of Nairobi, mm-hmm. a subsidiary of that. Um, they wanted my career pin and business certificate, and the job was like around, I think, 20K. Ah. <laughs> That's the whole cost of Yeah, all. Yeah, so for me, it didn't really make sense. Ah. Like, yeah, I was like, but I did it in the end, but it was just too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just turning back to Michelle's question, um, they usually say that 80% of your business, your revenue comes from 20% of your clients. Yeah. So what tips do you have to retain uh, clients as a freelancer to make sure that the people who you know hired you to do a job two years ago are coming back to you specifically okay. two years after? Yeah, that's really easy. Basically, first of all, just be kind to them. Mm. Tell them thank you in your emails or however you talk to them. Right. Also, like when they give you a project to do, try to do more than what they really asked for mm-hmm. so that they feel like they are worth something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They feel appreciated. And um, also respect their times. Like if you send them an email about cash like on Monday and they have not yet responded to you, like just don't be rude to them mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. So in terms of uh, you working with your clients, do you uh, sort of have them sign a contract or before you commence work, uh, how do you require payment? Do you like, uh, first of all, let's just deal with the contract things. Do you do contracts when you're working remotely? For local clients, yes. For local clients? For local, clients, yeah. <laughs> uh, For local yeah, because mm-hmm. most of the time you can do work and they don't pay. They exactly. just yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So normally for local, they ask for half, half up, up front. They can yeah, take you around. Like like up to now there's 100%. one percent. I think three years hasn't paid me, I think three years. Yeah. yeah. And actually I'm very curious how to go about that. You know, you deliver work as a developer mm-hmm. or your task to the project. Um, a month later, two months later, someone hasn't paid or they want to bargain you down. Like suddenly they want to revise the contract. Suddenly, you know, you didn't deliver as expected. Um, mm-hmm. Suddenly they want to use different metrics to measure your um, output. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you go about that? Because in my view, that's wage theft. Yeah. That's illegal. Yeah. Um, what what measures should you take? Should you just ignore the client or drop the client and move on? Or do you think going the... I guess the, the the legal way, because it's expensive, right, it's, to hire it's, it's a lawyer. Yeah, it's very. You have to protect yourself. But yeah, so how how do you usually go about that? Okay, me if a client is that type, I just drop them. Yeah. Yeah, it's too much. It's a headache. Cause yeah. Yeah, because if you spend time with the client like that, um, you will be wasting time. You'll be wasting time instead of finding someone else who can pay you better to do. A simpler job or a better job or something like yeah like but most of those types of clients are really they are common but they're really you might find some who pay well mm-hmm. and some who follow up on their talk but it's very rare mm-hmm. so what are signs uh, what can you say are signs that uh, red, red flags of a client who is not willing to pay yeah like they, revising a, a contract or yeah when they take long to pay the deposit okay the first deposit yeah when they take very long to pay that mm-hmm. oh, yeah 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 because yeah, normally like they are some who will chase you, okay, some who will say you start the work before the deposit. And then after that, yeah, it happened to me a couple of times mm-hmm. and they never really paid. And then there are some who will take really long to pay the deposit. Then they tell you to start the work because now they're like in a foul mode because you, cause they took so long to pay the deposit. I don't know. Yeah, and then maybe they're rushing you to like yeah, finish the website in a day. Yeah. yeah. And then when you finish now is when they take so long to pay you back. Mm, the okay. remaining balance, yeah. But normally they deposit, yeah. And what are, on the opposite side now, what are signs of a good client? A client who's willing to pay, a client who's... A client who knows what they want. Like, if you find somebody who gives you the whole scope of the work mm-hmm. okay. completely, that's, a, that's, that's rare to find. Whether they're normally the good clients and mm-hmm. also those who reply to their emails really fast. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I can relate. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Another thing question I have is, 
how do you, have you ever fired a client? Fired a client? Yeah. I've, I've tried to once. Yeah, yeah but they refused. <laughs> <laughs> they refused. Yeah. 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 Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. And then also there are those ones who like are normally stubborn. Then you tell them to go. Mm-hmm. Then they go, they struggle, then they always come back. Those are the nice ones. Ah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The ones who you now charge higher because they have come back. <laughs> oh, yeah. So uh, about uh, difficult clients, uh, sometimes you, you you take freelancing jobs online. On do yeah. you, Are you on these websites like uh, the app? Upworks and yeah, I'm on Upwork and Codable. Upwork is okay. Let's continue. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I am. Uh, you've you've triggered my curiosity. What what's okay. what's the deal with Upwork? Up okay, because for Codable, mm. as compared to Upwork, it's like living in Nairobi versus living in New York. Mm-hmm. Mm. So Upwork is Nairobi. Yeah. <laughs> so for Upwork, like most people bid though. I mean they price their projects though because mm. they know that there is competition in that platform. You all fight to get the job and you'll mm. bid though. For Codable in it's like day and night. Okay, for Codable, we are advised to always charge projects between seventy to one twenty dollars per hour and there's no bidding though. Mm. Always bid what you feel like and many clients pay that. Mm. Yeah, like I, I saw a project yesterday in Upwork. Someone was asking for a theme for I think five hundred dollars. A whole site done, I think. Mm. And like on Codable, like if you if somebody asks for even to like check their website for bugs, that can be around like eight hundred dollars even. Wow. Yeah. So Upwork is really. Upwork is if, if you're strong. Upwork is for strong people. <laughs> yeah, it's for strong people. Yeah. Yeah. Strong do you mean strength of will? Um, yeah, strength, yeah. strength <laughs> of will. <laughs> physical strength. It's just, yeah. It's, it's yeah, a bidding war over there. Yeah, yeah. it is. So. And um, so in terms of freelancing, do you work as a team? Um, because sometimes work is a lot to take on by yourself. Um, so how do you go about picking the right team to... For example, a client comes to you and you're good at web development, but you mm. need maybe a graphic designer or an artist, a product designer, something that's beyond your scope. You still want to take on the work, but you know that maybe that's not your strongest point. Um, how do you go about picking the right people? Okay, me, what I've normally done is normally pick friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like mm-hmm. if I need coding help, mm-hmm. I'll just pick a few friends, design my brother. Yeah, that's what normally do. But normally for teams, like pick people who are reliable. Cause I have a friend, he's really good. Mm-hmm. He is, I think, one of the best Node.js developers I've ever seen. Wow. But he's not reliable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you give him a job that pays, like those ones, I give him a job that pays, mm-hmm. and he just went quiet, cause he got another job that pays more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I th- I think the best thing to do is just find some reliable and it and I've seen most people go to Upwork for that because mm-hmm. for Upwork you know like you can set the timeline and how long to take and you can set the budget so that's what most people have been doing that's mm-hmm. what I've been seeing because there's one time I applied for a job and I got it was a subcontract to a big bigger job on Upwork on the same platform by somebody else that's what most people do these days <laughs> uh, uh, so uh, back to to before before uh, the Upwork debate came about, yeah. I was asking about, uh, for instance, on websites like Upwork. Sometimes you you land a client that's quite um, demanding. They're so picky. They're so perfectionist, and oh. you keep submitting a work, and they want like, no, it's not right do it again and then you submit again they're still not there still not there still not there mm-hmm. how do you handle clients like this okay what I've learned is that for design mm-hmm. you have to be pixel perfect design that one there's no way about it mm-hmm. if it's mm-hmm. a website thing you have to follow it has to look exactly mm-hmm. like what they want yeah like that one there's no way about it that's what I learned the hard way mm-hmm. it has to look exactly as the design you've been given mm-hmm. yeah but for code you can find the loopholes but for design, <laughs> yeah. have you have you have you ever had experience with a client that didn't give you a design but expected you to build a website, 
and come up with the creativity yourself mm. the design yeah when that happens i normally just talk to my friends <laughs> oh yeah, you, you find yeah. when it's not your strongest point you have to get a designer yeah you have to get yeah. somebody good at yeah. that yeah or the same way if you're maybe a front end developer or maybe just a product designer graphic designer someone who's more artistic and creative mm. um if that's your strongest point get someone who's really good at functionality yeah. mm. um maybe testing yeah. uh, deployment yeah don't be selfish don't be selfish at all <laughs> at all Yeah. Yeah. So one question I have going back to when you mentioned you worked for companies remotely. Hmm. So how do you choose which companies to work for? How do you know this company is going to give me value? Actually, do you look for the value you're going to get from this company beyond monetary compensation or what else do you look for in that particular company? Company that you apply to? Okay me uh recently okay lately I've been looking at what the company will teach me like how I'll grow in that company mm-hmm. cuz there are some companies just build one product like a team I'm like no that's won't really help me in future to grow anything so what I normally look for is like what they're building and how I will grow from that and what I'll learn from that mm-hmm. yeah cuz it's boring working for a company that just does one thing mm-hmm. yeah um my question be with coding changing each and every other year like um python is good this year java is good next year so how do you as a freelancer improve yourself on these programming languages or have you taken upon taken it upon yourself to like learn a new language every other year in order to like maximize on your portfolio to get more work or okay it generally depends on what you want to do in life because if you want to learn all the languages that come out then that means you want to be stuck as an employee mm. but if you want to perfect like around 3 or 4 and be the best at it then that's the route I'll go for yeah and what can you say is the best project as a freelancer that you've worked on uh there are many okay my first project that I did I think for around 3 years by myself was a music streaming site I think I told you about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm in the streaming site. That's Spotify. Is it yeah, Spotify? Yeah, no, it was kind of like Spotify. The only issue I had was content. Yeah, that was, I think that was my favorite project I ever worked on because it had a mobile app, web app. It worked like Spotify exactly, like that thing where you can pause and resume on the phone. Is it still on? Is it somewhere we can find it? Or? No, no, it's not on. <laughs> But I have the code. I always kept the code, yeah. Hmm. What was the challenge? Content, getting content. MCSK? Yeah, because they had some crazy fee, couldn't afford. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is my, I think that's still my best project I've worked on. Mm. Ah, and, mm. oh, okay. Ah. Okay, Mki, while you're still deciding how you do this, I'm going to ask. Uh, being a software, being a freelancer, you you sort of don't, you, you it's up to you to keep track of yourself, your health, all of this. So. Yeah. Sometimes you may find yourself with a lot of work and not so much time. Mm-hmm. And in situations like this, how do you protect yourself from burnouts? Do as a software developer this happens quite a lot. It used to happen to me in the past and how I used to deal with it. I just ignore clients until I finish. <laughs> That was the past. Uh lately I just give myself enough time like if I know a project will take one day mm. to finish, I tell the client a week. Ah. Yeah. So that I can have time to watch TV or do whatever. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And, and and then you bill him for that week, not for the day. <laughs> oh yeah, also that brings me to another question about the working hour listener. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, working hourly. How 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 do you go about uh you and the client? How do they know how many hours you've worked on? or is it just like uh you tell them i usually work from 8 to 5 and then this is my fee for uh okay. hourly and yeah, how do you go about all okay, that for remote work mm. they have time tracking software now oh. if you work for a company abroad or something they normally have time tracking software that you have to put on to be paid because they use that to pay you Mm. So if you work for us a day that's what they'll pay you. Mm. For clients most of them really don't ask you for hours. Mm. They don't cause normally you you tell them how long to take then you charge them for that price and then it's up to you to deliver within the time within frame. the time. Yeah, so if you tell them it take uh like say two days and 
okay, you can tell them how long it will take, but when you will give them the work, that is different. Because mm. they don't expect it to work consistently through those hours. Maybe they can do two hours a day, but then they know that on this date, they'll get their mm. job. Yeah. And speaking of, like, because you said you've done a music app, um, I'm curious to know when you say no to a client, mm. uh, because sometimes as a freelancer, you know, someone in the education space will approach you and they're like, oh, I want a book up. And you're like, yes, I can do it. And then tomorrow, a musician approaches you and they want a music up. The next day, it's a doctor or someone in the healthcare space approaching you and they want a medical app. So would you say, I mean, when do you say no? Should you, should you focus on a vertical or should you just take on any sort of work as you build your portfolio? Okay, I think you say no when, uh, when you feel like the project that you're getting is not really where you want to be. Because like, at the beginning, you take all sorts of jobs, like a, a blog or whatever. But once you grow, like you won't be taking blogs or stuff. You, okay, maybe you'll be taking them and giving them to like mm. junior people to mm-hmm. do them for you. But yeah, as you grow, you'll be focusing on building your name over building your, what do you call it? Okay, at that stage. Building your bank account. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like petty cash or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, speaking of cash, yeah. freelancing can be an, an unstable sort of working areas in there. Yeah. So how do you protect yourself financially for the down months when it happens? Yeah, like how do you go about that? Um oh, oh yeah, I watched that somewhere. Um uh somebody said that when you're charging a client, make sure you charge for your rent, for your expenses and for three months down the line. And tax. Mm. Yeah, in tax. <laughs> That's how you charge the client mm. for the wow. dry spell. Yeah, so you take care of the dry spell. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And back to finances. So for guys working remotely like you've done mm. for companies abroad, how do you handle all the tax issue? No comment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, tax issue and carry thing. Okay, that's a tricky question because carry yeah. don't really have a good system for us who work remotely to submit tax and all those things. Because how would you justify your tax? Because most of the cash comes in paper or other sources. So, are you really obliged to pay? That's mm. the question. Are we? Yeah. Make our website locally. Locally, um, yeah. Okay, for locally, most of the companies will ask you for your pin and those things. Yeah. Mm. If it's a registered company, they're serious. Mm. Yeah. But lately, all of them have been asking for carry pin. But oh. for remote work, and uh, they're not strict because they don't really track your online. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And just to deconstruct. Um, remote yeah. do you get remote work anywhere outside of Kenya but within Africa or is remote mainly European um, North American Australian what exactly is remote for you okay remote for me is outside 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 Africa mm. yeah yeah remote yeah because yeah remote is outside okay yeah yeah outside Africa mm-hmm. uh, mainly from the good pairs of remote are normally American countries and Asia, mm. ironically, yeah. Mm-hmm. UK, they're very stingy mm-hmm. for some reason. Mm-hmm. Australia also pay well, but mainly from America. Mm-hmm. I think they're the best pairs because they know, because they, I think they have a high cost of living and they know how much people they earn. So to them, it's sort of a bargain because if we charge them like 5,000, for our websites, which can be done in, say, three weeks, compared to hiring somebody locally in their own country, mm. it's cheaper for them. Because mm. locally, okay, like for locally, I remember um, there's one client who came and wanted a custom system for, I think, was it Pesapal, integrated with one of their plugins they were doing. And their budget was like, I think, 5,000 shillings. But I, okay, but I did it for them. 5,000 <laughs> Kenya shillings. Yeah. But I had to do it for them because to me, locally, it's, I've noticed that for locally, like once you build for something, for somebody something mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. they will tell 
referrals. Yeah, you'll yeah. get more referrals that is small cash that can be used like to pay uh, internet bills and other things. Mm. Yeah. Actually, just on that note, um, do you use templates like WordPress templates, uh, Squarespace, Shopify? The reason I'm asking this is because sometimes you, you, you really want to take on a client, but they don't have the budget for yeah. you. But mm. they're a good client. They mm. just don't have the means. But they don't want something so complicated. They don't want an enterprise system that has to be built from scratch. So is that something you battle with? That feeling of, oh, I really want to do this myself, as opposed to, okay, I can just use a template, which is cheaper, and then give the client what they want and then make some extra cash on the side. Yeah, for the template, it actually yeah, it depends on the budget. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If they are paying for the design work, then yeah, you do it custom. If they're not, then I always go for template. Okay. It's faster. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I would, uh, yeah, coming back to the, uh, being um, freelance, um, personal branding. Let's talk personal branding. Like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you brand yourself? Your social media presence, your portfolio, your your profiles, like how do you brand yourself for, for to, to sort of look attractive to clients that are looking for freelancers? Okay, funnily enough, I don't have a portfolio. Mm. You don't? I don't. Mm. I don't have, and I don't really do brand because it's so much work, like... <laughs> <laughs> but you don't have to do it yourself. Yeah, I don't, yeah. But mm. doing that text, I don't know, images, then yeah. you have to use fancy wording. Mm. It's too much work. Like. Yeah. But I've seen that most people, what they do, they have a, pass, a domain where they put their services they offer, mm. the prices, sample projects, and all those things. But, and that's how most of them get clients. Mm. Yeah, especially uh, colleagues from UK mostly. That's what they normally do. You just have uh, your own site with the work that you've done, big or small. Just have it over there because I, I think most Kenyans do any of you have a portfolio? Yes, yeah, I do. Your portfolio, yeah. yes, you can log on to melissamalala.com. Okay, you millennials have portfolio. <laughs> Shameless plug-in. But um, yeah, I think it provides a sense of trust and mm. credibility. Yeah. And I think ever since I um, started like sort of having a portfolio and a website, I think more people have contacted me, even when I'm not the most qualified person for the role, simply because there's a level of... It's, it's called social proof. Yeah, yeah. So it's one of Chiadini's principles. Um, I think it's the seven principles of persuasion. Social proof and credibility, building trust, just that feeling like you can put a face to whoever is working on your project and then you can hold them accountable mm. because they have a personal brand to protect. Mm. Um, I think it's very important. Yeah, that's true because I've also forgotten most of the projects I've done in the past. Mm. And if I had the output for that, at least I would have remembered them. I'll consider it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. 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 Uh, another question I have is, uh, what's your experience with working uh, when it comes to working with developers from other countries? How do you establish that uh, system, considering there's cultural uh, the difference yeah. in cultural background, and sometimes even the way code is code, whatever. But oh, yeah, yeah. The way the way they learn, maybe the way we learn here is a bit different. Yeah. So how does that work? Okay. Finally, what I've learned that in Kenya we are really. Also, what we are smarter than them in yes. terms of code. We are, really, we are really good. We are, okay, we are better than them mm-hmm. in code, in everything. That's what I've learned. Like basic things that can take you five minutes, them will take a whole day, which I really don't understand their logic. But in terms of the boundaries, that most of them curse a lot. You know, in Kenya we don't really curse mm-hmm. at all. Even if you're angry, you don't curse at someone directly. Like in my last full-time remote job, my boss would curse. Wow, it was like wow. he wrote a whole part. Okay, you know me, <laughs> he writes a paragraph of curse. So me, I read the first line and the last line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he used to curse a lot. That's actually part of why I quit that job. Mm. Toxic workspaces. Toxic, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They curse a lot, but in terms of skill set, we are better than them by far. And. Uh, most of them don't really speak proper English. Like there was one senior developer, he was praised by the CEO so much, but he was really bad in English. Even 
in the code he does, there were many spelling mistakes that got pushed to production. And then people pick out the spelling mistakes and all that. But he was really good. That's what I've learned. Like people are good, they can be good, but they don't really s- communicate well or mm-hmm. speak English well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting. Um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I need to go use the bathroom. So, yeah, <laughs> Okay, so um, I have a question on pricing. Mm-hmm. So, have you sort of come up with a system that you use when pricing yourself when writing the quotations and the uh, yeah, and invoices to your clients? Do you have like your own markup for pricing? Yes, I do. Uh, you charge websites different. Okay, well, websites is a base price. Then <coughs> it depends on the complexity of what they want on their site. Because people can just say, I want a website. Then mm. you give them a quote. And they add 10 features to it. So, yeah, from websites, you normally say from, and you say an estimate. Never say the final price. Mm. Additions also, it depends on the co- complexity. So what I learned this say is that it's good to first get a scope of the work before you give the price. Mm. And um, mm. just to ask, mm. uh, is your pricing model sort of modular? Like, uh, to give you... Maybe these landing pages, like these five static pages, they're about with the Nini, I'll charge this. Then for maybe something like a feature on user management system, I'll charge this much for that. And then something else, something else, something else. Or do you just sort of give a range in terms of a website that will be able to do this and this and this, it will be in this range. A website that will be able to do extra things will be in this range. Like what is your model? Is it like you plug in modules and you get the price or you put a range to it? <coughs> okay, I normally okay. I'm very bad with prices. Number one, yeah. I tend to charge low, as I was told. But I normally charge based on how hard it is for me to um. do that work. That's why I'm bad with prices. <laughs> <laughs> so in that case, everything is hard. Yes, everything has to be hard. <laughs> yeah, basically, regardless. Yeah. Like normally, like mm. ah, like who? Like I remember, like before, mm. somebody will come and tell me integrate for me this payment gateway. I'll just say, okay, I'll do it for like one five. Mm. And I do it. Then I go to a friend and tell them I did this thing for one five. They'll just look at me and say, you charge too bad. Yeah, Mm. it's too low. And for example, what's the average price you charge for something like that? Or the market rate? Market rate, like integrating a payment gateway. Right now, I would charge from 20K. Mm. Yeah. Depending on the gateway or... Yeah, depending on, on, on the gateway. Like mm-hmm. for, say, M-Pesa integration, then you charge more because Safaricom have a lot of processes to go through mm-hmm. before you have it complete. Because you have to charge for, as a land, you have to charge for testing, coding, and also the time you'll take for the client to review the work. Yeah. yeah. And then um, one thing <sighs> about feature-based pricing, for example, if you're developing a website and then a client wants a feature like uh, Google Suites or Google Cloud or mm. AWS S3 storage, yeah. um, should the client pay that themselves and then give you access? Or as a developer, should you add that in your quotation and then just offer that as a service? How do you separate, um, I guess, privacy and just being able to do your work efficiently? Okay, it depends. If the client is willing to pay for that beforehand, then they can buy it and then you just build on it or you just add it in the quote and they pay for it subconsciously but they don't really know it so like basically you buy it with the money that they have given you part of the deposits you build on it then later on they can create their own sub account or account and transfer it to them Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I'm really curious about after sale service. Mm-hmm. So once um, a project is complete, um, for how long should you maintain that client's website? Is it a year? Is it two years? Is it forever? Or are you done completely? Should you include that in your quotation? Okay, I have a client I've had for I think four years now. I normally mm-hmm. just like help her in anything. Like mm-hmm. she tells me, fix me this. I do for her for free normally because. Mm-hmm. I think she was my first client I got. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but then there are some clients who, if they're a headache, I normally just tell them, <laughs> I'll give you one month free support. Yeah. And then there are others who, subconsciously, I just check on their site to see if there are any issues and advise them. 
because that is potential work you can get potential paid work mm. <coughs> and then also um there are those ones who will contact you and ask you how much it will cost to do something xyz because they know that your time is important those mm-hmm. are rare to find i only have one of those yeah but normally like um following up for free i will do it if you want to just don't make it yeah just do it if you want to don't force yourself to do it but it normally builds good client relationships and that's how also you keep the clients coming back to you because they know that you will do extra for them without them asking for money let's talk about the handover process like you've finished building your website you've hosted it everything is set now this stage for handover to the clients so that they can continue on with the maintenance mm-hmm. so first of all like what are your usual agreements like do you maintain you've talked about maintaining websites for clients and you can do it for free yeah. but some websites require maintenance of the sorts of like content uploading like maybe you have a website for a musician and they release new albums like mm-hmm. Do you do the uploading for them or do you create a website and give them a CMS that they can do that for themselves? Oh yeah, and in terms of even maybe yeah. an upgrading part where you have to maybe this is the phase 1 of the of the website and then now you're going into phase 2 mm. or they want um other other maybe additional features features, features there mm. features on their website yeah. Mm. Okay um the first question uh what was it again okay, it was up <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah um that one yeah okay when you're finished the handover process yeah yes 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 so it depends on the site as you said if it's a uh, one for content it has to be a CMS like if mm. an artist comes to me and says they want a site to up- upload their music it has to be a CMS but if they can't do it then you tell them that um it will charge you xyz per month or yeah per month fixed price per month for you to do that f- for them like mm. they have to pay it and uh most kenyans don't really like okay most actually not kenyans most clients don't really like that most of them will want you to show them how to do it but it's very rare for you to find those ones who will actually pay you every month to either if to either check their site for bugs or for updates or anything just to be their go to person every mm. month for their site yeah that's basically how I would handle but mainly I'd go for the retainer it's got a retainer yeah mm. the retainer for that and do you have policies or personal just rules about handing over before it's completely paid for in terms of like giving them access to the codes the passwords and everything do you like say like I'm not giving you this until you pay the remaining half deposit amount yeah normally I, I don't give them mm. access because once they pay the deposit they have given you just part that is like just for starting the work mm to fully give it to them they have to fully commit the payment before you can give them access to it mm. and also for handover i give them all passwords i i, I don't remain anything so that mm. if something goes wrong they don't blame you or anything mm. yeah then for the <coughs> additional feature like phase 1 phase 2 you know like normally charge them separate because you have some clients who you start on a project then they add mm. the whole phase 2 to mm. it Yeah, normally I, I tell them that that will cost you more and for that yeah you have to either pay more or you take it on to phase 2 which I think most clients do when they see the invoice that you give them. Yeah. And um maybe we can talk about consulting. Is that something that you charge for or like if someone wants they approach you mm-hmm. they want to meet you maybe for coffee or have a one hour two hour meeting with you? Do you think that should be charged? You know, that point where you're listening to their needs and then now you come up with a quotation. Um every time you meet what are your thoughts on just charging for consulting? Okay, personally I don't think you should charge for consulting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I really don't like charging for consulting because you don't know if Okay, it just then it just looks greedy personally. Mm. <laughs> because why do you want to charge this to somebody's idea and this person can in the future give you more work and mm-hmm. potentially be someone big in the industry okay it's just okay consultancy should only be like for lawyers or something yeah yeah but for developers if you can okay i'd only say charge for consulting if the client is stubborn or if the client doesn't know what they want yeah then you can sort of guide them yeah okay. yeah 
another question when it comes to pricing <coughs> do you only adopt the conventional pricing model whereby someone gives your project you give them a quotation they pay you uh, after they hand over the project mm-hmm. you are paid in full are there any other times where you have an agreement whereby it's like a licensing thing it's not a retainer but license where they pay yeah, every they pay month or year month, yeah, based on what they earn or something like that so yeah i think how most, do you go about it most people are doing that because sometimes you can build a project that's too expensive for the client and you tell them to pay via the license mm-hmm. so basically they'll you own the software mm-hmm. but they'll be like a tenant to it mm-hmm. so that one you need a contract and that one you need to add a feature in your software or hardware whatever you're building to cater for the license that means that if they refuse to pay or they don't pay you can just turn it off mm-hmm. easily and mm-hmm. actually that should be done for all projects not just for licensing because you can do something for a client they pay half but they refuse to pay the other half mm-hmm. so you can just say okay if you don't pay by this date I'll take it down and are there any other forms of payment that you're willing to take because i'm sure you've come across clients who um may not have the money to pay you but maybe they want to pay you in, in stock options or something well, yeah because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah definitely yeah if it makes sense and if they bring it up because that's what i really don't get about clients mm. like there are some who want to start a app like uber then they want to pay you 150k then you look at them like no that won't be enough mm-hmm. so like if they tell you like build for me an app like Uber and um I'll get for you six guys to also use the same app that makes sense to me for that is cheaper in the long run because you get six people paying that fee it will cover your cost or if somebody says um if you develop for me this thing for free I'll promote you to my followers I'll consider that sometimes then if somebody says I'll give you something in exchange like you said beer or like food for like a month that's fine like it doesn't always have to be money for me basically money is never the drive unless i have bills that are pending mm-hmm. yeah so that means you have money hey <laughs> <laughs> are you paid in um, sweets yeah i had a, i had a question on what you um spoke about the deposit that the client gives you yeah is it always a fixed amount or does that vary depending on the size of the project and your relationship with the client it always varies on the size of the project yeah always on the project mm-hmm. not okay. on the relationship because some clients will say if it's 100k then, then they say okay if a client comes to you they say the project is worth 200k mm-hmm. and the deposit is 5k will you take that mm-hmm. no no yeah. so it's always like based on the project Okay. So first word for you is Andela. Dying. Uh, Ouch. Give us a bit more. I think it's okay it's a good concept then but I don't think it will stay for long. It's just why? Cuz okay right now what do they do they outsource yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. They outsource developers so for how long can they do that? Like it's not sustainable. It's just they should build a product or something. They shouldn't stick to that model. Why why is it not sustainable? Is it because the eventually is AI is coming up it will do most of the work they're doing and mm-hmm. i think yeah it's just not just, they should focus on all those brilliant minds they have mm-hmm. to build something on their own like facebook how they said build their own products mm-hmm. what about what about the aspect of one day because they, they yeah. oh, oh, oh it's becoming a discussion to edit that part out. Sorry. I give give us another word. It can be anyone. So blockchain. Uh Bitcoin. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, Bitcoin. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay, what about Bitcoin? Bitcoin? Bitcoin is the only blockchain yeah, thing that's only, surviving. Yeah. Mm. It's only successful blockchain technology, mm. I think. Bitcoin mining. That's another word. That's yeah. those are two words. Yeah. It's another phrase then. No, you're supposed to use one word. Ah. <laughs> okay, I have I have a phrase. <laughs> okay. Women in tech. Empowering. Oh wow. Yes, it's true. Give the man a trophy. Give the man a clap. It's actually very true. They actually I think better in tech. Ironically, yeah, actually better. If mm. you find a female developer, just know she's damn good. Mm. Yeah. So um your fourth reaction is for smart contracts. 
Smart, smart contracts. contracts. What's that? That's your reaction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, let's go to the fifth one. Mm-hmm. Entrepreneur. Demanding. Mm. Give us a bit more context. Well, it's not easy to do it. So people think it's easy to do it, but it's very demanding. You need a lot of time and patience for it. Uh, what's your reaction on software jobs? Boring. <laughs> They're mm. very boring. Yeah. Yeah. Tech Twitter. Tech Twitter? Yeah. What's that? The community of technology in Twitter. They call themselves Tech Twitter, isn't it? In Kenya or globally? Not globally. (coughs) Never heard of it. Never heard of it? No. Silicon Savannah. Kenya. Just give us your reaction. That's his reaction. A dream. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think it might be a reality? Well, with the current people in power no <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. there needs to be an overhaul like yeah because shift. that thing it, it is called well, that city that tattoo city what is mm. it Konza, yeah, Konza. Konza city what yeah. the heck like roads are being built before it like it didn't make sense they, they should have taken an, a city that is already there and just converted it mm. sort of building a new thing mm-hmm. yeah okay have a I have a word for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Podcast. <laughs> Engaging. Engaging. Okay. Carry four. Visual merchandising. They're really good at that. Like way better than Nakomat. Way better than Uchumi. I mean, I just love their display. And as someone who's very keen on creativity and design, mm-hmm. I like walking in and just seeing things arranged. It's like the OCD in me just gets so excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cheap, affordable. Con men. <laughs> yeah, I think that if you check, um, I don't know, but I've 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 tried. There's there's a few incidents <laughs> where I've used Taxify and either they switch off the app yeah. when I'm en route, or either sometimes the prices are too high. Mm. Yeah. yeah, but it's just from my experience. Mm. And I've had people saying yeah. that. Mm. Yeah. yeah, they usually there's, a, there's those times where they switch off the price, the meter during the ride. Mm-mm. It's it's a no for me mm. for Taxify. But it's very interesting in Kenya because you'll find people are on Uber, Taxify, and mm. Little. Yeah. Mm. So sometimes we blame the brands, and it's maybe the drivers mm. who are yeah, a but bit Taxify sketchy. Has the most hit. Yeah, Even but I've line. experienced bad things both with Uber and Taxify in terms yeah. of the the conning thing that you're seeing, um, not dropping you off at the right location, overcharging. It's just On Uber. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Pesapal. Ah, uh, behind. Mm. Very behind. Pesapal should have been the PayPal. They should have been way ahead, but they're so yeah. behind. Yeah. What about their new app? Their new app is a good trail, but they're still behind. Mpesa. Mpesa innovating. Uh, what's the bank one called? I don't even know the name. So that's a hint for our listeners. The, the bank one? Yeah, the one where they have like, can send money from KCB to Barclays. Oh, what's that one called? You're the one who knows it. You use it. Done. Done for banks. What for banks? Like, <coughs> the Mpesa for banks. One that they did, they tried to compete. They're getting old. It's fine. <laughs> um, uh, I'm curious. Loop. Not CBA loop, yeah. other one. What about self care uh, and mental health? Um, that one is more of a why. That one needs to be discussed. It needs to be looked into because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that one is it's it's huge. Yeah. yeah, it's huge. Especially for developers. Yeah, for develop- for everyone actually, mm. not only yeah. for developers, for everyone, even bankers and all those people. Mm. New Airtel commercials? Uh, funny but useless. <laughs> <laughs> it's true because yeah. the service is still bad. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, telecom pricing? I never use telecom. Oh, okay. <laughs> Safaricom fiber. Safaricom and fiber. Okay. Yeah, telecom is just, in my opinion, it's too cheap to be sustainable. Yeah, even mm. Airtel, whatever they're trying. Mm. Yeah. And maybe in, instead of brands, I'll give you some words and then you can tell me which brands you think 
um, I guess, reflect those mm -hmm. words. So innovative. Safaricom. Empathetic. 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 Damn. Hmm? Jubilee government. Empathetic. What is empathy? Empathy. Empathetic. That's a good one. I don't think any are empathetic. Creative? Creative. Any brand, yeah? Mm -hmm. I would go with Amazon. Aggressive. Facebook. Mm -hmm. Diverse. <laughs> no comment. Diverse, maybe. Uh -huh. Google. Yeah. Yeah, Google is actually quite diverse. Critical slash important, you can't live without. Google. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Annoying. Ha. <laughs> well, annoying. I'll give you one. Safaricom. <laughs> Safaricom annoying. Kocho, kocho, Sijini. Oh, yeah, they have all those. Oh, my but, God. But the other ones are more annoying. Like, the adverts. You can be just sitting, chilling, and Safaricom is like your balance is zero. <laughs> Especially when you have your data on. Actually, yeah. yes, they constantly remind you of yeah. Safaricom. Yeah, because I've had when their fiber is down, it's it's hell on earth. Mm. Yeah, Safaricom annoying. Inefficient. Safaricom. Safaricom bundles. Mm. I have one, one word. Moringa school. I never really. <laughs> I in Moringa school. It's okay. It's free to go to Moringa school. Yeah. What do you pay? <laughs> no, no, no. We pay a fee. Um, oh, you pay a fee. Yeah. yeah. We pay about uh, two thousand dollars for twenty weeks. So that's two hundred thousand Kenya shillings. Okay. From what I've heard from Eugene, Moringa school are helpful. Mm. Yeah. Compared to Andela, that's why I really don't like Andela. Yeah. They are more of show-offs. Mm. Yeah. I think the word for Moringa school is accommodating. Mm. Yeah, accommodative, yeah. Mm. And Ella is not. Yeah, mm. and Ella, and Ella, they interview you. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah it, it's not a question, but um, just what I've thought. How do you network as a freelancer? Mm. Where do you get your networks from? Apart from just online and stalking people. Um, or friends. Yeah. Stalking people. <laughs> <laughs> so I, should, I said it down. Well, if you go for either hackathons or this, what do you call them? Job meetups. Yeah, those job meetups. Yeah. yeah, those ones. Yeah, that's where you meet people. Like, you meet a lot of people, especially the ones for, I think, iHub, because iHub get good speakers yeah. and good others. I don't think others do. Mm. And as a freelancer, I'm just in line with personal branding. What's your view on business cards? Because I find them so dated. But every networking event you go for, yeah, that's yeah, that, that's yeah. the thing. Like people, people are so old. It's because most net, net networking meetings or whatever you go for, like there are many old people who want cards, mm -hmm. which is boring because you're supposed to be saving the environment, not printing out paper. <laughs> But personally, I really don't like cards. Yeah. They should all be digital, because that's where we're going, digital age. Mm -hmm. Yeah, though people tend to forget your emails. So I think that's why people do cards. People mm -hmm. forget a lot. Mm -hmm. Or people don't want to, to carry their expensive phones to the event, so they can't save your email. Mm -hmm. So is, is there uh, <coughs> like a service for digital? Uh, yeah, cards. Yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. Is about is it about me? About me. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. Convenient. And not Google. Uber. <laughs> Uber is convenient. Expensive. Expensive. Oh. IMAX. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But go for it. Mm. Value for money. Safaricom. Mm. For real though. Yeah, their data, like what you pay for is what you get. That's what I've learned Safaricom. Mm -hmm. Zuko, what you pay for is sometimes not. Oh, the then you need then you need the the internet. Cable no, internet. the bundles for Safaricom, what you get is what you pay. 
for fun. Yes. I tend to disagree on that one. For this one, I'm actually with the general population. <laughs> <laughs> Safari Combados disappear in thin air. Yeah, because you open big apps that consume a lot of data. Yeah. Not necessarily, though. Okay, because me, when I use my Safari, okay, when Zuko misbehaves, then I have to switch to my phone for playing games. Mm. I can play for 20 minutes and it only take 10 GB. I mean, not 10 GB, one, 10 MB mm. on Safari Combados. Yeah, it's, it's really good. I don't know. Maybe it's my area, but oh, it's really good. But they know you get for what you pay for. As compared to Airtel, they're trying to promote whatever mm. they're trying to promote here. Yeah. What about consistency? What brand pops up? In a good or a bad way. Ah, it could be the way. <laughs> Whichever comes first. For me, I mean, it's Coca-Cola, right? Like mm. Coke in the States, Coke in the UK, Coke in Kenya, it's always going to taste um, like Coca-Cola. So I think, you know, trying to strive to be as consistent as Coca-Cola um, in terms of branding, the product, but I've actually, everything. I'm sorry, guys, this is not a related Kabisa, but I've heard from Australians that Coca-Cola, their tastes different because of water. And also because of sugar. Yeah. But it's still Coke, right? Coca-Cola brands there. Yeah, it still has that marketing aspect of refreshing. Yeah, Mm. and they keep it quality. The quality is... Exactly, yeah. Yeah. As compared here where you go somewhere, you find bread is different. Right, yeah. Or blue band is... Thank you guys for listening to our podcast. And you can find Paul on LinkedIn at Paul Kevin Abonji. And your Twitter? Twitter. Good question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so maybe LinkedIn LinkedIn is okay? Yeah, LinkedIn is okay. So, yeah. Paul? Paul just, Kevin Abunji. Okay. Yeah, so, if anyone wants to reach out to Paul and maybe ask him a few questions on freelancing, you can get in touch with him on LinkedIn. So, thank you, Paul, for making time to come to our podcast. Thank you. We've learned a lot and I hope our listeners get a thing or two. Yeah. So, guys, thank you for listening and we'll see you next week, right? Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye.